That's what we're here to talk about this morning is Jesus. Man, so grateful you came to church today. If I have never met you, I'd love to say hello to you afterwards. Um, I usually hang out in the lobby, drink a little coffee, put my jacket on today because it's chilly out there. But so glad you came to church today. If I haven't met you, I'd love to shake your hand, say hello, say thank you for coming. It's a beautiful Sunday morning. I was talking to the worship team earlier. The, the weather right now feels to me like, uh, like Turkey Bowl Day. Have you ever played in Turkey Bowl? Get up on Thanksgiving morning, you go play football early. That's what it feels like. It's just a couple weeks early. So uh, we're here. Uh, it's a beautiful day to be alive and be at church. We believe that you're here for a reason today. Believe that God does not make mistakes, that you are here sitting where you're sitting, by the people you're sitting by, drinking the coffee you're drinking for a reason. It's because God wanted you here and he wanted to speak to you. So thanks for coming. God doesn't make mistakes. You're here for a reason. Engage Boise, we say this all the time. We believe that if we love the family, we can change the world. If we love the family, we can change the world. And how do we change the world? How do we love the family? We introduce him to Jesus. Amen. The author and finisher of our faith, the champion of our faith. And we allow Jesus to transform, change us however he sees fit. It's not always comfortable. We allow him to change us however he sees fit. A uh, couple other things about the week of Thanksgiving. We will not have church on Wednesday the 23rd, day before Thanksgiving. There will not be anybody here. We will be out of town. Uh, we'll be back for the following Sunday, but we'll be out of town. Uh, so if you come here, you can hang out in the parking lot, or if you have a key, I guess you can come in. Thank you, Pastor Wendy. But uh, there will not be a service happening. This last week, we almost didn't have it because the power was out, but came back on, thank the Lord. Uh, but we won't have church on December 23rd. We're also going to start collecting uh, supplies for the Boise Rescue Mission, hopefully next Sunday. And for the next four weekends after that total, buy the sign-up sheet for the feast. There's some little papers that, have, uh, that contain some information about what the rescue mission needs. Um, what we want to do is just bless them with as many supplies, financial blessings as we possibly can, because they do a great job in our city of taking care of people who need it. So start looking around your house. If you've got stuff you don't need, bring it. I think we're going to have one of the big barrels out there. You can drop it in the barrel, and I would love to just overwhelm them with uh, stuff from Engage Boise with kindness. So uh, please make plans to be a part of it. I know when we moved, we have found so much stuff we do not need. I'm still finding stuff I don't need. So uh, anyway, please be a part of that. Um, can also just give you a little roadmap of what the rest of the year will look like on Sunday. Today we're going to start into this uh, short series. It's going to be three Sundays long called The Habits of a Believer. And it's going to take us through December 4th. Uh, December 11th, when we welcome in our new youth pastor, Jason Hanafori. He's going to be here full time. I'm so excited to have them here. Uh, I'm going to share that day uh, an expanded version of something I did at the beginning of the school year on a Wednesday night. On, on uh, the Wednesday, it was called Why I Love Teenagers. We're going to expand it that Sunday to why I love young people. Uh, but that's what Pastor Chase is coming for, to help us reach young people, to reach our city. Um, I had a pastor say that it's cheaper and easier to have someone get saved before they're 18. <laughs> and I think there's some truth in that. Uh, but more than that, man, the world is out to get our young people. Like, the enemy is a uh, roaring lion seeking who he may devour. And uh, we need to make sure that we are doing our very best. So excited to have them make plans to be here that day. 18th will be focused on Christmas. That'll be all Christmas stuff, Christmas songs, Christmas message, all that. Uh, we will have a family Christmas Eve service on Sunday the 24th in the evening. No service on Sunday morning the 25th, but Saturday the 24th in the evening, we will have church, and we encourage you, bring your family. It's a family service. It'll be about an hour. We'll sing some Christmas songs. We will have candy canes. We'll uh, do the Christmas story, a little bit of special music. It's going to be awesome. And I encourage you, bring your family with you because they will have a chance to hear about Jesus. That's why we do all of this, so they will hear about Jesus. So just make plans for that Christmas Eve. 
uh, uh, Christmas Eve evening on Saturday the 24th. Um, today, I want to get into this part one of the habits of a believer. The habits of a believer. I had Greg put the habits of Jesus on the sign out there because I hadn't decided what exactly I was going to title it. But I've been telling you the past several weeks as we finished up our series on Psalms that we're getting ready to head into talking about uh, the life of Jesus some. And I mentioned the parables, and we still will do some stuff from the parables uh, in January. But I knew in my heart uh, that there was something else um, I was supposed to be doing for this next little stretch of time that wasn't the parables but was about Jesus. And so uh, I don't know about you, but, I man, I can be forgetful. So I just have just started writing everything down. And I have these, like, notebooks and journals and things that I – not a great journal, but I'll write things and thoughts down. And started looking through my stuff, and I found this idea that I would written down uh, that – uh, I believe is what we're supposed to be doing right now. I'd written it down originally over a year, year ago. It came out of a book I read. And it's this idea of habits. Uh, there's, of course, the famous book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective Leaders, right? And I resisted the urge to name the series after that. <laughs> I'm going to talk about eight habits. I resisted the urge to name it Eight Habits of Highly Effective Christians. <laughs> I thought that would have been cheesy, so I didn't name it that. Uh, but everybody on this earth has habits that they get into. We all have them. I've heard it said, and you probably have too, right, that it takes 21 days to form a new habit. But in doing a little bit of reading, I get this, I found it's actually not true. Sorry to burst your bubble. But, but imagine that. Something you read on the internet is not true. Imagine that. What a shocker. <laughs> but the idea, it comes from this doctor, and the doctor's name is Maxwell Maltz. And part of what he did as a doctor is he performed amputations. He wrote this book called Psycho, Psycho-Cybernetics, and he talked about how people, you've probably heard about this, if they had to have a limb amputated, they would still feel it there for a little while. They called it a phantom limb, right? In other words, they would feel it even if it wasn't there. And in the book, he said this thing, it took a minimum of 21 days for a person to stop feeling that sensation. Well, all these self-help gurus and people, they took that and kind of ran with it, and they capped it at 21 days. They spun it into their own ideas, and that's where... We got the, it takes 21 days to form a new habit idea. I've been a little discouraged by that because I've tried to form new habits and try it for 21 days and the thing just, man, it doesn't take. But the thing is, modern research tells us that it actually takes an average of 66 days for something to begin to feel automatic. And that's what a habit is, right? Just something you automatically do without thinking. And it often takes even longer, something like six to eight months for something truly to become a habit. Just something you do without thinking. Six to eight months, that's a long time. All of you, I'm sure you could think and talk about unique habits you have gotten into over time. When I was younger, I had this funny one. When I was younger, I've talked to you about how I love sports. And uh, when I was younger, in the 90s, um, all sports radio stations were just starting to be a thing. I love the sports radio, the red talk radio stations talk about sports all the time. Boise didn't have one. We have got a couple now, but we didn't have one then. And we would go like on a trip to Seattle or California or whatever, and I would find how to walk in with the tape player, you know, my batteries. And I would make sure my batteries were charged up and my walkman had batteries so that way I could tune it to the all sports station. Listen to sports all the time we were in the car. Here we didn't have it, but what we did have, some of you might remember this from the 90s, is they played the Mariners games on uh, 580, I think it was KFXD. Usually they were in the evening. And so I got in the habit of just putting this on. And it really wasn't because I love the Mariners. I really actually don't like the Mariners. I'm sorry. If you like the Mariners, I'm sorry. 
Pastor Chase is coming, big Mariners fan, but nobody's perfect. Uh, but I would put the Mariners on, and the reason is because back then, no, you didn't have the internet, right? You couldn't just go find scores anytime you want. I'm a big Dodgers fan, and I wanted to hear the Dodgers score. And the two places you could hear the Dodgers score were the 10 p.m. news. So I would watch the news, particularly the weather and the sports. And then I would go to bed, and I would put the Mariners game on so I could hear when they said the scores. And this crazy thing happened. I could fall asleep, and then the next morning I would get up, and I would always look at the box score in the paper. So still to this day, I've tried to teach Christina, our daughter, who likes baseball, this skill. You can look at a box score, and you can tell exactly what happened in the game if you know how to interpret it. But I, could, I would wake up in the morning, and I would go look at the box score to see what happened in the Dodgers game, and somehow I would know. What would happen is the radio was playing while I was asleep, and I would like subconsciously know if the Dodgers won or lost. When I got to college and I had a roommate, I went to go to sleep, and I realized I can't just put the radio on because they might not want to hear sports all the time as they're falling asleep. I had to break the habit that I had gone into. There's nothing quite like moving into a new house to completely mess up all your habits. If you want to mess up all your habits, man, move to a new place. It forces you to learn new ones. Our, our last church I worked at for almost 12 years, I was 90 seconds from the church. I had no commute. I had no time to listen to music, no time to listen to sports or anything like that. Then uh, we, started, we started here when we still lived in CUNA, so it was 30, 35 minutes on a good day. I got to listen to a lot of music and a lot of sports. Changed my habit, and then we, got, we moved closer, and then my habit had to change again. I don't get to listen to as many songs, as much sports. But the biggest thing I've noticed, this is a silly one, but is my teeth brushing habit. Everyone, if you think about it, you have a, a habit of how you brush your teeth, where the toothpaste is, where the toothbrush is. And what I would always do is I would sit on the toilet and I would put my feet on the wall and I would like read a psalm on my phone while I brush my teeth. I had one of the Sonicare toothbrushes that goes for three minutes or whatever, you know? So I would start it, I'd read a psalm, put my feet on the wall. Problem is our new house, there's no wall, it's the shower door. So I sat down with my Sonicare to do my habit, and I realized I couldn't put my feet there. It's still, it's not very comfortable. I've been in the house a couple of months. It's not comfortable at all. I've not figured out my new habit. Now, habits are interesting because when it comes to forming a habit, habits are a process, not an event. You don't just decide, I'm forming a new habit tomorrow. It's starting. They're a process, not an event. And many times, habits happen on accident, not on purpose. Now, when we do form them on purpose, habits, when we form them on purpose, they can be incredibly powerful. I talked a few weeks ago about golf, and I had my, my uh, collection of putters out here. And um, to be really good at golf, if you have played any golf, you know you have to be able to repeat the same thing over and over and over again. A big thing is the routine you go through and doing your same routine no matter what, whether the wind's blowing, not blowing, cold, warm. Regardless of changing circumstances, if you want to be any good at golf, doing the same thing over and over and over again is the key to, key to success. you got to execute the swing, whether the ball is on a side hill, whether it's flat, no matter the situation. And it has to be automatic. You have to not think about it. If you're thinking about it, you've probably already lost. You see, when it comes to our lives as believers, good habits that are formed on purpose keep us on a consistent path. Good habits, when it comes to how we live our life, that we form on purpose, that keep us on a consistent path. What we're going to dive into today and in the next couple weeks are the habits that Jesus exhibited during his time when he was on earth. 
what it looked like when he brought his kingdom to earth, like the video talked about, and he walked the same dirt that we walk on. What habits did he form when he was on earth? And the framework, like I said, comes out of a book. Uh, it's not the seven habits, but the book is called The Sacred Chase. It's by this guy named Heath Adamson, and he runs uh, Convoy of Hope for the Assemblies of God. And the book is awesome. I encourage you, go find it and read it. It's actually an entire book based around Jesus' encounter with the demon-possessed man in Mark 5. In your King James, it calls him the demoniac. But the whole book is based around that. It's awesome. Towards the end of the book, he touches on this thing, and this is where I wrote it down, about the habits that Jesus exhibited when he was on earth. And it's just a brief thought from him, and it sparked a thing in my mind, and I wrote it down thinking, I'm going to speak on this sometime. Now, we don't have a history of every single thing uh, Jesus did during his 33 years on earth. There was no Instagram or Facebook for him to keep record of, right? That's what we do now. We go back and look. You know, your Facebook reminds you every day, here's what you posted 11 years ago. I'm finding, uh, for me, the things that show me right now are a lot of Boise State football rants. This is when Boise State, 10 years ago, was really good with Kellen Moore. Lots of Boise State football rants on my part. <laughs> but the Gospels, they do paint a compelling picture of what Jesus was like as a human. And this is really important. We have to establish this as we go forward. Jesus, the Bible tells us, was fully God and fully man. This is important. This is a core thing, core tenet of Christianity. Uh, Jesus was fully God and fully man. A couple of scriptures uh, for you just to help you know this and understand it. Uh, Romans chapter 1, 2 through 4 says this about Jesus. Um, that God promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David, and through the spirit of holiness was appointed the son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus was an earthly descendant of David, but he was God's son. Remember, though, the disciple Thomas uh, was the first one to really realize that Jesus was actually fully God. The disciples, they spent all this time with Jesus. They're trying to figure out exactly who he is, what it means. And remember, Thomas, I talked about this at, after last Easter. might break this message out again sometime because I, I love the thoughts in it so much. But Thomas had told all of his friends, the other disciples, that he would not believe Jesus had risen from the dead until he saw the scars with his own eyes. Right? Thomas said, you guys believe it all you want. I don't care what you say you've seen. I will not believe it until I see it. And what does John 20, 28 say? Jesus said to him, to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And here's the key part. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Go read the Gospels. That's the first time one of them referred to Jesus as God. The point of those scriptures is that so we understand as God's people today, yes, Jesus is the son of God and he was the son of God while he was on earth. But he also was a human, just like you and I. And therefore, Jesus had a personality. I would have loved to get to be around it. Jesus had a personality, a sense of humor, and everything else that makes us human. Of course, God has a sense of humor. He made me and he sees the hilarious things I get into and he loves me anyway, so he must have a sense of humor. We see written down here in the Gospels some habits that Jesus established on purpose while he was breathing the very same air, the same atmosphere that we do. Within the life of Christ, we see many habits of a believer we're going to cover over the next few weeks. The first habit of a believer we see and we're going to talk about this morning is this, Jesus welcomed questions. You know, in life, 
we tend to go on this very interesting journey. We start out when we're young asking a lot of questions. And if our heart is in the right place, we're still asking it when we're old and gray. I feel like I'm in such a privileged part of my life uh, right now. You know, sometimes in the middle, between the young and the old, uh, we become know-it-alls a little bit. When you're young, you ask questions. When you're old, you ask questions. In the middle, you think you got to tell everyone what you know. But I'm in such a privileged part of life. I'm 43 years old, right smack in the middle of my life, hopefully not even halfway. And because of that, I get to experience something interesting. I get to be around people that are 40 years older than me. And therefore, they've seen a lot that there is to see, right? When the pandemic and all that stuff happened, they said, you know what, John, I saw uh, World War II and I saw the Vietnam War and I saw all these things. This does not scare me at all. They've seen a lot there is to see. But I also get to be around little people who I am 40 years older than. I could dole out some discipline to a couple of them right before church actually in here. (laughs) But anyone who is around kids, you know that as soon as kids learn to talk, what happens? It's question time. Yeah, (laughs) why? Uh, Someone told me before I had kids, they're like, you know what I did with my kids is I gave them one question per day. And I was like, I'm doing the opposite of that. (laughs) I purposed in my heart a long time ago, for as long as my kids ask me questions as their dad, I'm going to answer everyone I can to the best of my ability. Gets me in trouble sometimes. Once Luke, uh, I don't remember how old he was, but he asked me, Daddy, do you believe that I have extra vision? (laughs) He was little, right? I think he was even wearing a superhero costume at the time. I said, yes, Luke, I believe you have extra vision. He said to me, Dad, I'm the only human who has it. Okay. I said, well, what about Superman? He said, he's not actually alive, Dad. I'm the only human who has it. Luke's also taken to reading these books lately. We, we read a lot in our house, and he's taken to reading these books about animal battles. I don't know if you've seen these in the library. It's like, which animal would win? And it's like gorilla versus cobra snake or whatever. So he's taking and reading these books, and then he quizzes me on them. We'll be in the car, and I'll be like, Dad, who do you think would win, gorilla or cobra snake? Cobra snake? I'm usually wrong, you know. Um, He takes pride in asking me ones about animals. I don't even know what they are or exist. John 4, I remember this time very vividly. We did the thing. We're driving to Arizona. Takes, you know, you got little kids between here and Phoenix, 18, 20 hours. And we had this great idea. You've probably all tried this with kids. You're going to get up at like 4 in the morning, and you're thinking, they're going to sleep for a while. First part of the trip, right? I think Christina was with us on this trip. She was probably 20. Uh, Christina slept because she sleeps anywhere. Luke slept. John, man, we got him in the car 4 o'clock in the morning, and we're, we lived in Cuna. We, you know, you can go to the freeway down Black's Creek, right? You go out there, and it's just desert out there. There's nothing to see. Everyone was asleep except John Ford. Dad, what's that? Dad, what's that? Dad, what is that out there? I'm like, John, it's the desert. It's 4 o'clock in the morning. There is literally nothing to see. (laughs) I've told you how my son, John, he can't get enough of sports, right? Whichever sport happens to be on, it's just constant stream of questions. How many Super Bowls has this team won? Or why did the ref throw that flag? Or how did they end up with that many points? Or why is not that guy wearing batting gloves? I mean, it's just question after question. Sometimes they ask me really big questions important ones about God or heaven or who decided, John asked me this the other day, who decided, Dad, that bad words were bad words? 
Those conversations, those are between them and I. Those big ones. But there's a point to it. I believe they relentlessly ask questions. Big, small, everything in between for this reason. Because God made us to ask questions. God made our heart to wonder. And if God made us to ask questions, then my sons who are just discovering all that life is about, they're going to have a lot. I've had the honor, like I said, of being around many people who have lived much more life than I have lived. And you know the ones I love being around the most are the ones who, 80, 90 years old, they aren't 100% certain they've got all the big questions figured out. All you ask them about like Ford or Chevy, they've got that one figured out. They know which one is better. But they're still studying God's word. They're still asking big questions about God. And you know why they do it? Because at 8 years old or 80 years old, God made us to ask questions. And the ones with the most wisdom and understanding, which the Bible tells us, remember, to find at any cost, they never stop asking. If you don't believe me, I want you to look at this uh, this scripture with me this morning. Uh, Luke chapter 2, verse 41 through 52. Most of what we know about Jesus' time on earth is from his ministry that started at about age 30. This is one of the few accounts we have of Jesus between birth and when that earthly ministry started. We don't know a lot about, we know a lot about the birth story. We don't know a lot about what happened between then and age 30. But let's read together. This is Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 41. I'm reading to you this morning out of the NIV. It says this. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature in favor with God and man. Man, what a story about the almost teenager Jesus, right? Now, we know that Jesus did not sin. That's a core belief of Christianity, right? Jesus came to earth. He would eventually become the once and for all sinless sacrifice for our sins, tear the veil in two. But, of course, the teenage boy would think he has a better idea than going home with mom and dad, right? You ever been around a 12-year-old boy? That's about what they do. But even at 12 years old, look at what Jesus demonstrates for us here. We got to understand, and he even said right there, he said, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house, but they did not understand what he was saying? He was understanding who he was, and they didn't yet. But we have to understand, this is the literal son of God come to earth. And teenagers, they can be know-it-alls, but if there's one that may have had the answers earlier than the others, it would be this one, right? 
But look what he's doing. The one who it says, he says later he would, be, he would tear down the temple and become the temple himself. He was in the physical temple courts. And verse 46 says, underline this in your Bibles, says that he was sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking questions. Jesus had done something right there that can speak so deeply to us. Jesus had gone to the right place to ask the questions. And Jesus understood something that we as humans in 2022, we need to understand. There is a difference between wisdom and an opinion. Jesus knew if he was going to find answers, he had to go somewhere where he might find wisdom. Now, we face this massive challenge in, in 2022 in that people can go anywhere they want to to find answers. Anything that you know a lot about, the first time someone comes to you and says, well, I have this question about cars or computers, but I looked it up on Google. You're like, oh, my goodness. Right? Go to a doctor and say, well, you know, doctor, before I came in, I looked it up on Google, and this is what Google told me. Man, they're going to, like, be frustrated. First of all, usually Google tells you you're going to die, right? First thing, you, as soon as you type it in, I have a headache. You're probably going to die. <laughs> but it's one of our jobs as a church to be a place where people can find God's wisdom and not just an opinion. People can find an opinion anywhere. We need to be a place where people can find answers in the word of God and not just a talking point. Find talking points anywhere. You know, one of the reasons I love the local church so much and I'm passionate about it, and I imagine I will be until the day I die. Um, I, think I, was, I think I was writing this part at a coffee shop, and I wrote this down here. I was at a coffee shop, and there was, uh, I was ordering my coffee, and uh, this a guy um, who had been, a, I could tell by how he was talking, he'd been a part, of, a part of another church, and he was busy trying to convince this other guy that the actual church is a building and a gathering doesn't need to exist. And he was busy telling this guy that uh, Jesus wouldn't go to a church if he was on earth today. And a man, I strongly disagreed with him, but I resisted the urge to get in the middle of his thing and I got my coffee. And... But you know, one of the reasons I love the local church so much, one of the reasons I am so determined to be part of a place that is known for God's love and mercy more than anything else, it's because I believe that serving God together, alongside other believers, and even asking hard questions it's one of the keys to living life the way God designed it. Coming together, asking questions, it's one of the keys to living life the way God designed it. He didn't design you to do it by yourself. I love the church because many, many, many people my age have big questions about God, about life, about what they learned when they were young, and about their place in all of it. And we know where those answers are found. They're found right here in this book, right? The many of those people around my age, they're leaving in droves because they're pretending everything is fine on social media, but they're desperately searching all the while for the actual answer. The reason they're searching is because the church, not ours particularly, but the church in general, uh, we're so busy insisting we have all the answers that we have forgotten something really important. That's that one of the habits of a believer, one of the habits of Jesus himself on earth was that he welcomed questions. If we want people to come to the right place, to God's house, and there's a whole bunch of people who want that here today. If we want people to come to God's house to ask their questions, then we better be prepared to go on the journey with them. 
To go back to the example of my son, I better be prepared to figure out who decided the bad words were bad words. <laughs> Sometimes when someone has a big question about God or grace or mercy or pain, the best thing we can say to them is, you know, I don't know the answer. But I know the one who does know the answer. And let's ask him together. You see, what we're getting at here is that questions are good when they lead us to the creator. Questions are good when they lead you to God. And the reason we as God's people can confidently ask questions is because we don't have to be afraid of the answers. The scripture I love, I think it's on the screen, Proverbs 25 to you. I think this is the NLT. It's God's privilege to conceal things and the king's privilege to discover them. There is indeed some mystery to the things of God. But the greatest journey we will ever go on as people on this earth is to discover those mysteries. It's God's privilege to have them, and it's our privilege to go find them. If you've been here on Wednesdays, uh, to go on the treasure hunt. Now, if Jesus himself could come to earth and at 12 years old, if he could go and ask questions, if he could do it at 12, then we can do it at 43 or 73 or 93. It just might take embracing the fact that one of the habits of the believer is that they welcome questions. We see also uh, in the New Testament that Jesus not only welcomed questions, but uh, in the days and the habits of Jesus, we see that Jesus loved the truth. We just pointed out a moment ago, verse 46. Jesus went to the temple courts and he asked questions. But look also where verse 47 says, Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. See, Jesus loved the truth. And this is the other side of embracing questions that we must apply to our lives. Some of, man, if you're here and you've been searching or maybe you've been frustrated with the church and you're like, yes, finally, someone's saying, church doesn't have all the answers. We might not, but you can't miss this part. This is the other side of embracing questions that we have to apply to our lives. You see, one of the habits of a believer is that when we embrace questions, we must be relentlessly committed to finding the answer. You can't just ask the question. You have to be committed to finding the answer. That's actually sometimes the problem with what we talked about a minute ago. Sometimes we see something that doesn't make sense to us. Maybe you learned something with you when you were young and, and now as an adult, it doesn't go together like you thought it did. And we start to investigate what we're feeling. And we fall prey to what I feel like is one of the greatest traps of the enemy. And that is we leave the question unanswered. We have the question, but we don't go find the answer. You see, one of the enemy's great strategies is for us to ask a big question, but create so much noise that we can't hear the answer. When it comes to being a believer in Jesus... We have to understand something. It's really profound, and I want to give credit to Heath Adamson, the author of the book, who I got the thought from. But he says this, the more spiritual we are, the more practical we become. The more spiritual we are, the more practical we become. Let me show you what I mean a little bit. We as human beings, man, we tend to be really good at talking. We tend to be really good at making things look and feel just a certain way. It's actually one of the things I love about sports. If you've played sports, you've been around someone who we call it uh, politely, they talk junk. 
One of the things I love about sports is because it does not matter how much you talk or how confident you sound. It doesn't matter how nice of equipment you have, fancy golf clubs, fancy shoes. Once you get between the lines, the truth is going to come out. That's why they play the game, right? Man, as Christians, this is so convicting and challenging to me. As Christians, as believers in Jesus, we sometimes can be real focused on the answers we've decided on in advance. And we forget it's not as much about how well we've got every scripture memorized, but how well we actually apply them to our lives. The most spiritual thing we can do is be practical. Now, to be sure, I am a believer in knowing and memorizing the word of God. I believe it's alive and active. It's sharp as a two-edged sword. Man, all of that is so true. I have told you before, I am a terrible memorizer. If you told me, John, I'll give you $50 if you can memorize these six verses in the next 30 minutes, I would just... I wouldn't even try. I can't do it. The thing for me is repetition. I just have to read it over and over again over several days or weeks or whatever, and then it'll be in there. David talks about, this is how we know it's so important. David talks even in Psalms about hiding God's word in our heart, Psalm 119.11. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Memorizing God's word, don't don't mistake this. Memorizing God's word, it's one of the most vital things that you can do. Knowing God's word, it'll change your life. This is why we do junior Bible quiz on Wednesday nights. If you have brought your kids, been here on Wednesdays, they do junior Bible quiz. And some of you, my wife has organized you to be uh, like uh, uh, question people so they can, they can come to you, the kids, and, and see if they know what they've studied. But the point of knowing God's word, uh, it's not just so we can come up with an answer when we're challenged. I mean, nobody wants to look silly, right, when you get asked a hard question. But the point of knowing God's word is, isn't so we'll just be able to come up with an answer. The point is that those words are so deeply ingrained in us that they become a part of who we are. It's not just an answer we give. It's a part of who we are. The point is that the words in this book, they guide our hopes and our desires and our actions without us even necessarily realizing that they're doing it. Uh. It's funny because I just talked about this scripture several weeks ago, and one of the ones are memorizing a junior Bible quiz. Uh, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, very famous. Trust the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, he will make your path straight. And I, uh, my wife is the one that's good at the memorizing, but she was at work or something, and we try to work on it each day. So I was in the living room, and I was throwing a football back and forth with John. And we would, like, do a line and throw the football five times. You know, I came up with some wacky thing, and, and he managed to memorize it. And the reason is not just so he can regurgitate the verse, although I love when he can do it. The biggest reason is because when my son, John, when he runs into a situation he can't fix by his own desire, his own stubbornness, because he will, I want him to be thinking, lean not on your own understanding. He will make your path straight. I want that to be what he leans on. And I want that to be what I lean on. I want as a church for that to be what we lean on. Technically, knowing those words of Scripture, it's a great thing. But listen to what James chapter 2, verse 19 and 20 says. This is a New Living Translation, I think. You say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God. Good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? You see, the true measure whether or not we love the truth, it's not in, uh, if we have a snappy line to quote. 
The true measure of loving the truth like Jesus did, it lies in how well we apply God's word to our lives. I think it's really easy to get into the trap of, and like I said, I love church. I've dedicated my life to church. But we want to say sometimes that how spiritual we are has to do with how well we sing and how well we do church. Man, those things are good and they matter. But the truth about the condition of our heart, it lies in how well we apply that word of God that we've memorized, how well we apply it to our lives. Man, I'm talking to myself here. Church is what I do. I come here just about every day. So the question becomes, what is the truth that we embrace? Jesus embraced truth, so what is it? Um, the worship team, you guys can get ready if you want to. I didn't really uh, give them good direction earlier. What is this truth that we embrace? Well, the scripture that always comes back to me in situations like this, and when I was a youth pastor, I was 22, and just starting out this, when I didn't know what else to say, this was a scripture I would quote. <laughs> Galatians 5, 22 and 23. We want to embrace the truth, here it is, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now, when I really get into the habit of loving the truth, and I ask myself, what do my actions say about what I believe? Man, that's a huge question. What do my actions say about what I believe? But when I start applying Galatians chapter 5 to my life in an honest way, there might be change that needs to happen. Well, I'm saying it to you, but I'm saying it to myself as much as anything. We have to remember that the questions are good when they lead us to God. We have to remember that the more spiritual we are, the more practical we become. But when we ask those questions and when we really go seek the answers, and make no mistake, friends, the answers are found right here. When I ask the questions and I really begin to seek the answers and I begin to love the truth just like Jesus loved the truth. Oh, he went and asked questions, but he knew the truth and he spoke the truth. And the proof of embracing the truth is whether or not there's a change in our lives. Does my life look any different because of this truth that I say I embrace? If you're a believer in this place, um, we're going to sing goodness of God here in a second. Um, if you're a believer in this place, I encourage you just to do this in this few minutes. Does love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Do those things speak about what's going on in my life? If we're honest, every single one of us, there's probably an adjustment we can make. I encourage you as we get ready to sing, um, uh, to ask God for the courage to ask the big questions. Yeah, be confident when someone comes to you and challenges you about what you believe. The Bible says, always be ready to give an answer. But let's be ready to go on the journey with people who are asking questions. The thing I know about my God is I'm confident he will answer the questions. When I don't know the answer, it's okay because I know the God who does. Amen. Would you stand this morning? We're going to sing uh, goodness of God as we get ready to close. And then I'll come up and I'll pray over you today.